Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. Again, it is 1-2-2022, and we're continuing our worship service with the thought of the week and prayer. All right, first we'll have the thought of the week. And taken from the second half of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 5, we have this phrase. Made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. All I can say about this phrase is, wow. We have so much in this phrase, which can easily be read, but not fully understood. This verse speaks of the salvation we have, and also what we are saved to. Many use this verse to say that God simply saves us without any regard to our free will. They feel it is simply the process of salvation and nothing can be added to it. However, we find there is a human side to salvation. And this is found in verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We are not made alive apart from or before our faith in Christ, the one thing it shouts to me is that it is God's action in making us alive when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It is the power of God in response to our faith in Christ. If we have faith in Christ, we will most certainly be saved. John 3.16, for example. There is no doubt about this important fact. It says that God wants to save. He is the one who prepared this so great salvation and offers it to us in grace. He is pleased to save those who come to him by Christ. Salvation is on God's terms, and he will save us. We don't have to bargain with God or plead with him to do what we want. The action needed is God. And he provides the power to bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life. The power needed for this does not come from us in any way. We are the recipients of salvation. It is only by God's mighty hand that we are delivered. And that is the thought of the week. And for the a commentary on it, I would just like to read a couple of verses around Ephesians including verse 4 and 5. And this is from the ESV version. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And my commentary is this. Is, is grace cannot be undervalued or minimized or taken away from in any way so there are no works involved otherwise grace wouldn't be great grace wouldn't be a gift and a gift is something that god is really giving to us in which in exchange for faith in christ if we trust christ with our soul salvation god is pleased to give us this gift of salvation and we are then uh, we are then included in the family of God. 
I think Ephesians chapter 2 does a wonderful job of just clearly explaining just how simple this really is. And it's unfortunate that many people will make it more difficult by adding in things that must be done or even qualifying what is the works of the law versus what is not works of the law. And, and they'll go on about what things must be done um, to prove that you have faith. But God knows your heart. So in your heart, if you believe and you trust in Christ for your soul salvation, you will be saved. And that is my commentary on the thought of the week. And now Dave will give us the prayer. Thanks, Dwight. Do anyone have any special prayer requests? Well, I've got several people on my list of, of things, so just just to remember who everybody is praying for. Okay. All right, let's take this to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, to look over each and every one of us, Father. We also pray for those who are on our hearts, Father, that you will look over them, Lord. Even those who have financial difficulties, Father, so are those who have serious illness, Father, we ask you, Lord, to look over them and comfort them, Lord. Father, as we continue this new year, Father, we ask you to bless us in your time and in your, your ways, Father. We ask you, Lord, to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us your direct ways, Father, so we can continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we also pray for those who are given the message of salvation, and, Father, we ask you, the Holy Spirit, to convict their hearts, Father. And we ask you, Lord, to bless us in your own special time and your own special needs. Father, we ask you this in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and for his name's sake, amen. Amen. Thank you, amen. Dave. Appreciate um, Dave and Dwight for handling that. And <clears throat> we are, we're going to move right forward um, because we... Uh, we're in John seventeen five, and um, it is our first. Uh, we do have quite a few notes. It's our first scripture to deal with in the new year. I think it's appropriate that we have the time and the energy to focus on this verse. There is quite a lot. I don't think we will get through all of it today. That's okay. I'm, I promise you this. I'm going to take my time develop this as we can and even as I do develop it I feel inadequate to be able to fully organize it and and put it in uh, I, I can't repeat what Jesus said to the extent that I can explain it I feel inadequate I can only do my best uh, to try to present it in a way that makes sense we'll see how, we, how it goes, but let's dig in. So in your notes, this is John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. If it is, in the, Father, if, if it is the Father's aim to bring many sons into glory, and it is his will that they be conformed to the image of his son then the first step would be to have a glorified Christ we find in this profound verse a glimpse 
of the eternal period just before time began. There is no way to anyone could know about this eternal period since creation had not begun and the first human being was not created by the spirit of truth and faith we can learn about this exclusive period and understand what the father son and spirit were doing <clears throat> as the eternal purpose for all things was planned of the few places in the Word of God where this period is spoken of, we need to learn or lean forward and pay close attention to what is revealed to us and especially for us. So we're going to get into this verse, but just prior to us looking at this first phrase, we should note that this verse goes in the context with the previous verse where we discussed uh, clearly um, what was it. Now, here, here it is. This was the previous verse. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So, and now, Father. See, and so this is where we are. It is a continuation of Christ finishing the work. So let's dig in, and we sure we do have a lot to cover, and hopefully we will get through it. First point is, in Christ's mind, he has reached a point where he can now reflect on the events that occurred before time began. That's interesting when we talk about before time began. Because we only can know <laughs> what... Uh, happened during time this is of ourselves obviously if god equips us to know or he brings the spirit of truth on board so we can know that's another thought but otherwise there's no way we could figure out what happened before the universe was created there's literally no way to figure that out there's no rocks we can dig up there's no examining the universe to, to see if we can determine what was the cause None of that will help us understand what happened before the universe was created. I know man has different ways to, you know, do things and find forensics and all this, but here's the case where we are absolutely blind. We don't know what happened. Let's just admit it. We don't know what happened before time began. So this is period. This is this period that Christ is talking about, and he turns to the Father, and he says, "And now, Father, uh, point B, after finishing <clears throat> the assigned work from the Father, and that's what we read in verse four earlier. Christ turns his attention to the reason for his coming, and expected impact of the completed work that he did, and that is glory. He expects." glory. Christ is not saying, uh, oh, I'm so surprised by the glory that I'm receiving. It's not one of those things like somebody winning an Oscar. And me, really? I have the speech prepared, right? No, he's he expects that after he finishes this work that the Father tasked him to do, that he will be glorified. He, he's, in fact, that's what the whole verse is about. Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before 
the world began. So he expects this. He knows what the outcome is for doing the work. And he, he is prepared to be glorified. And that's, this is information, like I said, it's really privy, privileged information. We're, we're not someone who can uh, say that we have a right to this information. God had to choose us to be a part of the, of the recipients of this information. We, we're not forcing or pushing our way in the door here. God is the only, one, only person who could have put us in this place. God the Father. We're going to continue on with this phrase, and now, Father. Christ knows he must still go to the cross. He's not confused about what time it is. He knows he has to be judged for all the sins and be resurrected. So his thoughts are looking forward. He knows he's going to do those things. He's resolved to do those things. He's looking forward, and this is what we might consider Christ walking by faith in the Father's provisions and plan. So we can know what the Father's plan is in our life, but we still have to execute it because we are on the ground. But if we are determined that that's what we're going to do, if we have the resolve to follow the Father's will, then that's what we call walking by faith. Christ had to walk by faith. He knew what the Father's plan was ahead of him. He knew what work he had to do. He knew that he had to be obedient to every detail in the Father's plan. And he had to do it. He had to walk by dependence, trust, and reliance on the Father to fulfill those purposes. Same thing we have to do while we're here. When it says we walk by faith, that doesn't mean we hope to get whatever. We hope that we get rich or we hope that we do this or we hope that we do that. Walking by faith is in what the Father's plan for us here is. We're trusting. Even though others can't see it, we can see clearly what the Father's plan is. And we're walking, trusting, and relying on Him for the provisions of that plan. So, so walking by faith, we see an example of Christ walking by faith. Point D, Christ will recall a period when only he and the Father are capable of knowing. Please pay close attention. This is privileged information. And we used to have that uh, whole thing when I was in the military about security clearances. And I was in always, always in communications when I was in the military. So by reason of that, that I could overhear communications, I had to have a high security clearance. I had to have a security clearance because I might be just listening to information that is of a sensitive nature. So they had to clear me and I had to make sure I passed whatever hurdles they wanted me to to be able to have this information or get this clearance so I could work in communications. So the, it wasn't the top, top security clearance, but it was it was up there more than the average person. And when I think about that, I think about how we are been granted 
to know this information. It was hid. And we have to remember, this information was hid in God. He didn't tell anybody about it. So just imagine what the security clearance there was. <laughs> There's only three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're the only ones who can know this information. And finally, after all of these millennia that we are learning this information, he's, ex he's revealed it, and now he's telling people what this information is. Nobody knew what it was. This information deals with the plan of all things. And we'll, we'll talk more about that as we go. But in this case, only the Father and the Son are, no, are capable of knowing this. We can't read Christ's words and say, yeah, so he's saying, glorify me in your presence with the glory I have. We can't know what that is. We don't know what glory and all that. It has to be explained to us or revealed to us. We're not going to go back and read the, some, somewhere in the law and the Old Testament how this actually happened and, and how we could see Christ quoting it. No, this is literally Christ speaking about information that was privileged. Only the, he and the Father knew. And there's a scripture. I know it's not in our notes, but I need to at least, I'm thinking of it, so let me see if I can relate that scripture. This is in John 1, and it's very exclusive. John 1, 18. Christ says, no one has ever seen God. Now, when we say seen, we're not talking about with the naked eye, you know, just eyeballed to God. We're talking about seen meaning knowing, understanding God. Christ is getting ready to tell us no one has ever had that. Imagine him, him saying this thought and we have the whole revelation of the Old Testament. And Christ has said here, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So so the seen and has made him known go together. So if you say, what does seen mean? It means making him known. If we were to say, well, what is it that he's making him making known of him, the Father, that is, it is not the Old Testament because that's already been made known. It is this revelation that we've been talking about, this privileged information that was exclusively spoken of, you know, conferred upon, and uh, figured out, decided upon, and decreed, and we have to say, before the creation of all things. It's privileged. Christ is saying, I'm the only one who knows this information, and I'm the only one who can reveal it. It's never been seen. No one has ever seen God, meaning meaning made God known in this manner. And why? Because God hid it within himself. It was not made known to the sons of men. It was never made known to anybody. It was kept hidden in God. So no one is capable of knowing this information. We don't. And even if we were to look at it, 
the verse says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. Why? Because man wasn't around. How could we possibly know this information? We cannot know this information. We have to feel privileged in order for us to have been given this. It is a matter of privilege. Why tell us? Why not tell Moses? Why not tell Daniel? Why not tell Ezekiel or Isaiah? I could, co I could go on with all these other names of people in the Old Testament. Why not tell them? Because it doesn't pertain to them. He hid it from all the revelation that he wanted to give mankind because it did not pertain to them. Because God was not ready to call those many sons in the glory. And when he was ready, he made the choice to reveal the information and then to call these, who, who, who are these? We, the church, those of us who are in Christ, call us into glory. So that's what we've been talking about. Christ finished the work. So when he says he finished the work, we know he didn't really finish it yet. He still has to go to the cross, as we said in point C, and be judged for the sins and be resurrected and ascend to heaven. But all of that, he is looking forward. And he knows that that's going to be complete. He already showed up on, on earth. And he lived a righteous life before the Father. And he will, he, he will do those things. Now, looking back, he did those things. Just as he said he would. Just as he knew he would. And he looked right on past him. Because it is the Father's will for him. And now what is he asking for? We're going to point two now. Glorify me in your presence. Okay, and now Father, now that I've completed the work. Now that I've done what was expected of me. Now that I've done what we talked about from eternity past. Glorify me in your presence. So let's, let's dig into this. We do have a few points to make. Being glorified is the subject here. We should not be focused because Christ is asking to be glorified. So we're going to get to what is the subject. We're going to just want to make sure we know what that is. So we should know that glory is in the context of a completed plan. And why do we say that? Because we gotta, if we just look at what is uh, John seventeen four. Let's look at it. Uh, hold on, we're getting there. John seventeen and four. These pages are turning very very slow. I'm kidding. They're not pages at all. So John seventeen four says. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So notice, before we even go any further in John 17, 4, who got glory? The Father. This is achievement glory because Christ had to achieve something in order to get glory for the Father. What did he achieve? The Father's plan, the Father's will for his life. So he says, I brought you glory on earth. And how did he bring him glory? Finishing the work you gave me to do. That brings the Father glory because it's the Father's plan that Christ is following. I guess we, we already stated that and hopefully it's something that we make sure we connect. So then Christ in verse 5 is saying, glorify me now in your presence. So the Father gets glory 
because he's the one who planned it, and it's a plan that has come to fruition through the work of Christ. The Father gets glory. Christ is asking now that he get glory. For what? For this plan. I finished the work, so now glorify me. So two people get glory automatically, the Father and the Son in this scenario, because of their the completion of the plan. The Father planned it. Well, the plans come to fruition. He ought to get some glory. The Son executes it. Well, the Son is the one who bore the brunt of the sins and is the uh, pattern for all who would be in him. The finished work of Christ, he should get the glory as well. So both the Father and the Son receive glory as a result of this plan. So then, verse 6. I have read, these, This is some of the stuff he did. Not only did he pay for sins and all of that, right? He lived a righteous life. But this is relative to the church age now. This is what he's talking about. I have revealed you, Father. This is verse 6, 17, 6. I revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. So now Christ is talking about work that he had to do for the Father in order for him to be glorified. Did he do it? Yes, he did it. He's, he's letting the Father know. I'm, there's nothing stopping you from glorifying me when we get to the end of this plan because I did what you said. I've revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. I gave, verse 8, for I gave them the words you gave me. And they accepted them. They knew with certainty I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. So this is what was Christ was tasked with in order, uh, part of the work. And we, we, don't, we talk about the finished work of Christ. We don't always talk about this, do we? Talk about When we say the finished work of Christ, we always refer to his death, burial, and resurrection. He, he died, and Christ said, it is finished. He's talking about all the sins were, were judged in him. Sins of the whole world were judged in him. So when we talk about that, we're, we don't talk about this. Because part of Christ's work that he was tasked with was to establish the church. And we know that because Christ himself said it as much. He said, on this rock, I will build my church and when he said that he just came right out and said it he didn't say on this rock i will restore israel on this rock i will teach the law and help people understand how israel is going to fare he says he will build or establish his church that's what's important about that now i'm hoping that that's something you see as a part of now, or, or maybe you haven't seen it, but now I want you to, when we talk about Christ and the work he did when he was here and all of that, was he also established the church. We're seeing it here that it, it was something that was part of what the Father wanted him to do. Uh, how, how do we establish the church? Well, Christ becomes the very source of uh, that everyone who is conformed into his image. 
He is the very image that everyone is conformed to. He is the one who the Holy Spirit baptizes everybody into, right? We were, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body. And that one body is the body of Christ. We are all members of his body. How did that happen? It's supernatural means. God, the Holy Spirit, had to get us identify with the person of Christ. We couldn't do it just by works, by us trying to be obedient to something. This has to be a supernatural act that only occurs in this dispensation we're in right now. So it's, it's really, when we think about this, the plan is very detailed. It's specific. I understand people want to just say, well, if you just believe you're saved. I got that. But here, we're talking about things that are after salvation, things that we need to understand that require us to think a little bit. That's true. You can't just get to praising God and emotional. you got to stop. Get your notes out. Think about things. Write things down so that you can come to know who you are in Christ. This is important. This is not, you know, such so simple that you can just simplify everything just like you would for a child. It does require some spiritual growth on your part. I'm tasking you with understanding. I'm saying, hey, I need your attention. Over here. No, look over here. I'm saying, you got to stop what you're doing and look at what God has done here and what he's done are things that are going to be different than what you would have expected so anyway this point to be made hopefully is not a big one but you should know about the finished work of Christ and how uh, he's asking for glory now but it's based on the work that he did okay point B the completed plan is about the establishment of the church we just said that or bringing those many sons into glory. If we go to John 17, 22, look at this verse. Wow. Here it is. He says, I have given them. Now, obviously, Christ got, is he's going to be glorified. He knows that already. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. So Christ asking for glory in verse 5, which we saw in our, our context, our verse, is... He's looking forward to that. He didn't get the glory while he was standing there praying the prayer. He still had to go to the cross. In fact, that's where he was headed, to the Garden of Gethsemane. But he's looking forward past all of that. To where he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. And when he says them, who's them? I just want to show you in verse 22 how far forward he is looking. He's not just looking to the beginning of the church age. He's looking to the end of the church age, where we are all one. When he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So there is a glory at the end of what we are experiencing. So not only is Christ now, I'm not asking for glory. <laughs> Christ is. I didn't say, Father, glorify me because I'm in Christ. No, I'm not saying that. But I don't have to ask because Christ is going to give it to me 
because I I am a part of who he is. If he's getting it for himself, he's also getting it for us, this glory. Sounds crazy me talking about us getting glory, I know. I bet you if there were stones and I was in some other church, they would use them on me. It would stone me. They would say, whoa, Doug, you're crazy talking about you get glory. How can you get glory? You know, in salvation, like it says in Ephesians 2, 9, uh, like it says, for by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. And it says, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what boasting is? Glorying. Glorying in the works we have done for salvation, saying, well, you know what? I am righteous. I have done. I have earned. God will see that I'm good and righteous, and he will give me salvation because of that. That's boasting in your works. That's glorying in your achievement that you did something. God says, nope, salvation is not like that. Nobody gets the glory in salvation but one person. And that's Christ. That's it. When it comes to salvation, he did all the work necessary. Not you. He did it. So we don't claim any glory when it comes to that. But now we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about the Father's eternal purpose. What he wanted. And we say he wanted to bring many sons into what? Glory. <laughs> there is the glory. How in the world are we glory? You know, Scripture just clearly says this and people just ignore it this it says many sons in the glory you know what people say yeah only christ gets the glory well, wait a minute we get glory it says it right here and it says in isaiah there's a there's a couple verses i could read and i wanted to read these last week and never did get to it i stuck them in my notes just so i wouldn't forget them and, and I'll read them for you. Hold on. This was last week. I, I just jotted these down. It's Isaiah 42, 8. Let me see. Isaiah 42, 8. Just in case you weren't sure about this glory thing and why people are so up in arms about it. As well they should. I'm not saying we want to take any glory that belongs to God. We don't. But we need to understand what it, the statements that are made of us. So Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. That's, that's clear. That is my name. And that's the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is what the Israelites termed the sacred tetragrammaton. Sacred tetragrammaton. And tetragrammaton is simply four letters. Y-H-V-H. That is my name. And it didn't have any vowels in it, just the four letters. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Now, obviously, the context here is not, you know, it's about idolatry. But God's not going to give his glory to another. There it is, right? And then there's Isaiah 48.11. 48.11 says, For my own sake... Uh, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? Yet I will not yield my glory to another. So, so there's a couple verses I, I picked out last week to say that we should know that God is not in 
the process of giving his glory to anyone, for that matter. Obviously, uh, the Gentiles were crediting idols with uh, doing things like they would say, oh, so the sun rises up every day, so we receive a lot from the sun, so that we're going to worship the sun, the sun god. Or we're going to worship some animal or something. Or so, so this is what we call idolatry. And they're crediting the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, frogs, whatever they worship, with certain properties. And the properties, were, they're saying they're God. And they provide us with this and they provide us with that. Warmth and all that. And God is saying, no, no, no. I'm the one who created all things. I'm the one who should receive the glory for doing all of that and creating Israel and all that. Why should I give my glory to idols? Those things of wood and stone that people manufactured are not God. They, didn't, they don't deserve any glory. So yet, those verses in Isaiah help us understand the serious nature of Christ saying, glorify me. So now, did God go against his word? Absolutely not. But why? Because God is receiving all this glory. God the Father receives it. We already talked about two who have received the glory. God the Father receives glory. Why? Because he's achieved something. What does he achieve? There's a plan that the Father planned. And because of his plan being achieved, he's bringing many sons into glory. And then, too, Christ receives glory because he executed the plan. It wasn't just, remember, to die for the sins in the world about salvation, but his plan was to establish the church, to establish those who are in Christ, to establish the means by which God the Father can bring those many sons into glory. So that's important uh, for us to, to make sure we comprehend this about glory. People will look at you and you talk about, if you were to go out there and talk about glory, I, I'm, I'm going to be glorified. They're going to look at you sideways. But we know, Scripture's clear. John 17, 22 says it, right? I have, Christ says, I have given them the glory you gave to me. Now, I don't know how we're going to read that. I don't know why we would want to read it any differently. Uh, and we're not at that verse yet. We're going to talk about it when we get there, obviously. But I'm reading it now, and I could see that it's very clear that we're going to get glory. We're going to be glory. And in fact, Romans 8, 29, right? There it is again. I, I'll go ahead and read it. Since we're, we're going to read it a couple more times in different ways to look at that. Romans 8, 29. So it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, this is 830, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, here it is. He also glorified. How do we get glory? It is the key to that is in verse 29. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. There it is. 
That's the reason why. <coughs> Excuse me. As I said, if if God in the opening, if God, the Father, wanted to bring many sons into glory, we need Christ to be glorified first, and all He has to do then is is add us to the person of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. My throat is tickled. So, back to where we are in our notes. <clears throat> We're at point, well, let's see. We talked about the establishment of the church. That was in point B. Point C, yet another reference to the church being planned before time began. Let's think about this. Matthew 6.18. Christ says, on this rock I will build my church. There was no mention of building a church in the Old Testament. There was no mention of building a church even when Gentiles existed. <clears throat> the first thing that was being built was Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Prior to that, it was just Gentiles. Random Gentiles that were on the earth that God used. But it wasn't some established structure like the church. No, it's not a structure. It's, it's a body of those who are in Christ. Or Israel is a nation of people who are in this world. So what we have is references. When Christ said in Matthew 16, 18, that was unprecedented. What do you mean build a church? And obviously we, we have a lot of definition around that. Let's continue. Ephesians 3, 8 through 11 talks about the eternal purpose. I'm going to turn to it. I just want to point out one thing here. Ephesians 3, 8 through 11 says, Although I am the less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So here it is in verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, there it is, Here's that church that Christ built. That he said he was going to build. Here it is. Now it's on the scene. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What's the manifold wisdom of God? That is the wisdom that God has destined for our glory before time began. Yeah, that's... When did, he, when did he destine it? Before time began. That period, what we've been talking about. That crucial, critical period. And what is this manifold wisdom? It's all about the stuff that we've been talking about. About that which was hidden. How God is using the church now to bring many sons into glory, right? To, to fulfill the Father's purposes. And then it goes on to say, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That's angelic beings they're privy now to the manifold wisdom of God they know what God the Father's eternal purpose and that goes to verse 11 according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord so all of it because of the work here it is another way to say it the Father was able to accomplish all of this through the work of Christ and not just the work of Christ for dying for the sins of the world, but in his, like he says, I've lost none of them. I've got them all. I told them what you told me to tell you. They, 
you know, I got them to the point where they now understand with certainty. And th those disciples became the apostles for the church. And we minus Judas, which Judas was not there, and add the apostle Paul. They became the apostles for the church. This new entity that Christ created. So, so that's Ephesians 3, 8 through 11. And then Ephesians 5, 32, it also speaks of the church, right? Which is glorious. And I'm going to go to Ephesians 5, 32. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Why is it a mystery? Because it's not in the Old Testament. It wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. It is the same thing. Well, if it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, when did God plan the church? He planned it from eternity past, before time began. That's when the church was born in the mind of God. And we are seeing the church now on the ground. But I think a lot of... A lot of the church is ignorant of some of these things, but it is our job to make it plain, to make it known, like Paul said, to the, to the Gentiles, to everyone, to even angelic forces, the manifold wisdom of God. That's what we're, that's what we're here to do. So let's keep going in our notes. <clears throat> so that we have more examples, as I said, of, of, what it means for Christ to be glorified. And part of it is us, <clears throat> as I pointed out. So point D, point D in our notes, 2D. Christ is making a request of the Father. And this is what he's saying, glorify me. <clears throat> so we need to understand the implications of this request in more detail. Glorify me. Let's look at some of these thoughts. Some of them we have touched on already, but we'll, we'll just touch on them again. One, Glory speaks of accomplishment and therefore entitlement. Now, if we, what can we be entitled to? Well, we, we can be entitled to the recipients of the Father's plan, which is a glorious plan that he and Christ have. And if the plan was to bring many sons into glory, then obviously we're going to be in glory. All right, so this Philippians 2, 8 through 11, it deals with accomplishment and entitlement. Let's just look at that. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 <clears throat> says, And being found in appearance as a man. So this is what the person of Christ did for us. He took on a human body. He, be he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on the cross. So then, he, this is accomplishment, right? And then we have achievement, right? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So even though Jesus did all that work, he just came, he was obedient to the Father in every respect. He humbled himself. Right? Who got the glory here in this verse? 
the Father. He gets the glory. Now, we know Jesus is going to be glorified. In fact, that's what we'll, the scripture we're at is he's asking, glorify me, okay, because I, I did it. I did the work. So that's why we're pointing out that it's about achievement. And I think if we look at glory in any other way in this chapter, I think we would be making a mistake. Because when Christ is saying glorify me, it's not just, well, I'm, you know, I'm the son. And, uh, you know, no, he's saying glorify me because of the achievement, the work that I put in, that I've accomplished, that I've enabled you to be able to fulfill your eternal purpose. So that's why he's saying that. Point two, we cannot fully know all the entitlements due Christ for his completing the Father's will. We, but we can review the record. So we can say, like we read already in Philippians 2, right? This, I'm going to give you a name that is above every name, a title that's above every title that could be ever named. And, and so everybody will bow to you. Every creature will bow you this is what the father is giving the man christ jesus i mean just imagine it and then so what we're trying to understand in this point number two is all that is due christ and i don't i'm not sure we're ever going to fully understand it until uh, we experience it when he is revealed but i think we have an we have we have opportunity to um, to begin to look at it now, and that's what we're going to do. So Ephesians one eighteen through twenty three is is the now really it's interesting when we look at Ephesians one eighteen here. He's really talking about us, not Christ, but he's giving Christ uh, or given Christ as an example to how we are raised to this position. We are raised just like Christ. Uh, there it is. Let's read it. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or that you may know the hope to which he has called you. This is the hope to which he has called you. That's us. The riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. So that so first of all, there's riches. So a couple couple of things. We've talked about adoption being the greatest transfer of wealth and power. That's how we look at adoption. The greatest transfer of wealth. So the riches is the one of, of his glorious inheritance. And here's the power. And it's incomparably great power for us who believe. So then he goes on to, to remark about the power. The power is the same. <laughs> As the mighty strength he exerted. Now, it's, notice, it's not like it. It's the same as his, the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. Notice, all things under his feet. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's us, right? Christ is over the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
If we are the fullness of Christ, we complete him in every way. Without us, he is not complete. Without us, the Father's plan cannot be realized. So that's why it says we are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we also have um, 2, 6, and 7, which follows in the next chapter. Let's go there to Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. You, you've read it before. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order, and we know where that is, far above all rule and authority. We, we don't have to read that again. In order that, in verse 7, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches. So there's the riches, the power. We're seated and here is the riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We haven't even plumbed the depth of the riches yet. We can't, can't possibly talk about all that at this juncture. For it is, and then, well, we know how we were saved. Okay, so back to our notes. So we were only at point number two. Point three, and this is the reason why we're here, is Christ is making requests, glorify me, and we need to understand the implications of it in more detail, right? So point three, obviously whatever glory is right and proper for Christ is also due us. It's due to us who are in Christ. I think reading those two verses that dealt with us being raised, the same power to raise Christ is the same power that is expended to raise us. We are not only when we're saved, we are seated with him in the heavenly realms, thus completely doing away with any achievement on our part. We don't achieve anything. Christ achieved it. This is not because we got some mature level of growth that God has conferred something upon us. He, the moment we're saved, we are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We're not standing up trying to still do work. We're seated. This is a grace, a sovereign grace blessing. Just like in Ephesians chapter 1, where it says that he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then it says, for he chose us in him. Well, the choosing us in him means that he blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So, notice, whatever glory is due to Christ is also due to us. Point four, glorify me. That's what Christ said. This is coming from the person of Christ who accomplished the work. It is obvious to me that the humanity of Christ is now glorified. So when I say now glorified, I mean in heaven right now. We got to glorify Christ there. I mean, he's not waiting anymore to be glorified. When he said, glorify me, it's done. When <laughs> it was done with, after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, Christ was, when he ascended, that's it. He was glorified. Got the Father glorified the Son. We're not waiting for this moment in history to happen. It happened. So... And so when we're talking about him saying it from the person of Christ, coming from the person of Christ, that's who's asking to be glorified, a man just like the other ones that were there. 
but not just any man. We're going to talk about the more that he is. He's the God man. So point number five, the person of Christ who walked this earth was not glorified yet, as we, we should say. So we, we need to identify that the person, of, so what, what is glorified? What does glorified look like? We, we haven't seen it, honestly. We have not seen what glory looks like. It's going to be something that is not going to be seen until the summation of all things. When Christ comes back, as it says in Colossians, and people will then begin to see not only who Christ is in all his glory, but they will see us as well, who we are, and all the glory that we have invested in us as well. And the glory is just the achievement. The achievement is what? Achievement of the Father's plan. The accomplishment of the Father's, Father's plan. Well, what did he want? He wanted something that was glorious. And we are it. We're, we're going to be what the Father has desired from eternity past. In that period, we say eternity past. But even when we say past, it is relative to time. Because right? if we say turn in, in eternity, God created time, we can't say eternity past. I guess you can, because it already happened that God planned all this, the Father's eternal purpose, and then it already happened that Christ came and did the work. So you could say, yeah, it already happened. In eternity, we could say. Anyway, we could play with that. Point number Six, what are the properties of the glorified humanity of Christ? Hmm, wouldn't that be interesting? Because whatever properties he has are the properties that we will identify with as well. So 1 Corinthians 15, 47 through 49, and I see our time is headed down the road. We're going to probably quit after we finish these points. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 47 through 49. Okay, so we have a contrast between the first man and the second man. We're going to talk about that. <clears throat> so, here we have 47. The first man was of the dust of the earth. I think we can all identify with that. All of us have remnants of who we are in Adam. Not just remnants, but that is what these bodies that we live in are uh, about, right? So, you know, there's a scripture, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. And after, you know, Adam was created from the dust and from the dust he will return. And sure enough, when we die, if it, you put enough time there, we would just turn to dust. And when it says we... I'm talking about our bodies will turn to dust. So the first man was of the dust of the earth. He was created. He wasn't like pre-existing or anything. God literally, he, he formed Adam from the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. 
so he was from the dust of the earth. And, you know, we are all after Adam. In other words, we, we have the same characteristics and properties of what God created when he created Adam. Adam fell, so what happens to us? We all are fallen in him. Adam developed, developed a rebellious, sinful nature. What, what, what about us? We now have inherited that rebellious, sinful nature from Adam. So it was from the dust of the earth, and from the earth will return. These bodies will return to the earth at some point. But then let's talk about the second man. The second man is of heaven. Hmm. That's quite interesting for it to say that. He's a man, but he's of heaven. <laughs> so, so it is to say that we're talking about not just any man, but he is a man. Just notice, he can't be less than a man. He has to be a man, but he is not of the earth. He is of heaven. He belongs to heaven. He, so, so this is really to say he's the God man. Who's of heaven? The third heaven. Only God could be of heaven. No angels could say they're of heaven. I mean, they're of the heavens, meaning the, the starry universe. But they are not of the third heaven where only the God, God dwells, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Even the people who are there, God brought to heaven until the summation of all things is only a temporary place for like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on and on. They may be in heaven now, but it's only temporary. But for us, it says that our home is heaven. Guess where we are from? We are of heaven as well. That's through the baptism of spirit, through our joining to this second man, we are now of heaven. That's how we have to see ourselves. And we're contrasting what was the difference between the two, right? Verse 48. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And I already talked about that. So, a couple things that we should say about that. Everything is not bad that Adam has. I know we like to look at every, oh, Adam brought the death, destruction, condemnation, this and that, right? And all that, bad news is certainly true, the bad news. But Adam is the one who uh, God is able to create free will, mentality, the person, personhood, and God created man in his image. So even fallen, when God created man, he took his, he, man was patterned after the very image of God, the, the, the very likeness of God. That's what man was patterned after. So, so as we read, as, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. So we came from a place where we were made in the image of God. Just notice. So everything of Adam is not just like the worst thing in the world. It's just, when God removes the sin nature, God will still have people on earth. Um, and Abraham and all those who are in heaven will come back down to earth with resurrection bodies. All that's, they're not, their, their home is not heaven, but ours is. Okay, so, so, so we should know we're patterned after the first Adam. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. But get this part. As is the heavenly man, so also are those who are 
And here it is, of heaven. We're of heaven. He's of heaven. We are of heaven. Can we say that? <laughs> I can say, where, where do you hail from? And no, nobody's going to answer of heaven. They're going to say, oh, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, or I'm from someplace. But if you're from a small town, people don't like to say that. People used to ask me when I went, went into the Army, where, where are you from? And I was from Piscataway, New Jersey. They would say, P -p 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 what? <laughs> because they couldn't say it. It's an Indian name. But I was a little embarrassed to say I was from Piscataway, New Jersey. Finally, I just cut through all that. I'm from New Brunswick, I'd say. You ever heard of New Brunswick? Well, I don't know. It's still a small town, considering. But even still, where do you hail from? People wanted to say, oh, yeah, I'm from so-and-so place. Well, now you could say that you hail from heaven. You are of heaven. That's where we, th that's where we come from. Now you could say, well, wait a minute. I was born on this earth. Shouldn't I, shouldn't I be saying I'm from the first Adam? No, you're not from the first Adam. God doesn't see you that way anymore. He sees you are of heaven. That's where we belong. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can read all about it. And just to be sure, verse 49, and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we look just like Adam. And we're not much different. So shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. These verses just take me to... I'm just, I, I read these verses and I can't get enough out of these verses. It just continues to give me more and more information the more I read these verses. Back to our notes. We're going to wrap this up. Time is headed the wrong direction here. Okay, so we are, we were talking about what, what were the properties. That was point number five uh, on this earth. Um, and, and that's what we read. Right, of the humanity of Christ. What are we destined to be? So even though people say, well, yeah, well, Christ was a human being and, and, and now the humanity of Christ. Notice it doesn't say we're just going to be human, but like Christ was human. It takes us and wraps us into the whole person of Christ, which means he's not only human, but he, he has glorified humanity and he is the Lord of heaven. So it just says, we're of heaven. That's where Christ came from. And that's where we now hail from. Point number six. And this is our last point to make. Glory for Christ speaks of a plan completed. It is our Lord praying for what he knows will follow the completed work that he has to do. It is further testimony to the motivation of each member of the Trinity to this glorious end. Now, this is more of a summation point to make. But why does Christ get glory? We saw it. He's praying, glorify me because of the work. And he knows it's not just a work, like he did some work. It's according to the Father's eternal purpose. The Father wants this. Christ is our Lord, and we report to him. He's over us. But the Father's plan is what 
is the reason why we are in Christ and that we are those many sons who are being brought into glory. All the members of the Trinity are working toward this end. The Father is, Christ is, and the Holy Spirit is. What do you think ministers ought to be doing who are under the, the gifting of the Holy Spirit? The gifting is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Ministers ought to be following this plan, recognizing and working toward completing this glorious plan. This is what we, we should be talking about, telling people. When it talks about growing up in him, we might reach the fullness and stature of Christ. That's what it's talking about. That's what we should be doing, all of us, to this glorious end. So we are going to stop right now. This is a good place to stop, but we will continue with this thought next week. we got a lot more to cover. Uh, not No apologies for lateness. We're just going to move forward, and we're going to take our time in these verses, and we'll chop it up as much as we have to until we can understand what is being said here, because it is certainly outside of our current understanding when we think about what does man know. We need to lean forward with these verses and really see what are the implications? What's, what is Christ really saying? Let's see, let's see from his perspective what, what we can know. So next week we will continue. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for bringing us to this point in our spiritual understanding. Just examining this lofty prayer, this most magnificent prayer of Christ to, to you, Father, gives us much to be considered. And as we talked about glory and the achievement of your eternal purpose, Father, we are on board. We see your eternal purpose, and this is the goal that we have in our lives, to grow up in that purpose and with reference to that purpose, fulfilling that purpose with every ounce of being, spiritual energy, presence, our lives, whatever we can bring. Father, this is what we want to fulfill. So we thank you for this call. We thank you for those who are here. We pray for not only word is truth, but believers everywhere, wherever they are in the world, whatever country or nation they are in. We pray that they will come to the knowledge of the truth. That they will know this love that goes on beyond knowing. We all may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So we thank you, Father, for this new year. We thank you for bringing us to this place where we have opportunity to speak words on your behalf to those who may not know. We can participate in the glorious work of the gospel as well, bringing, helping to bring those who are uh, not in Christ to the knowledge of who he is and what you have done. Father, we thank you for this church. I am so thankful for this opportunity to be able to speak these words and openly talk about your will, your purpose, and your plan. So, Father, 
continue to bring us back next week so we can continue our journey of wisdom and knowledge. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.